Good evening and good morning. Today, we will Bezrat Hashem be learning Davav in Masechet Sachim, a special Thanksgiving edition. Coming to you live from Detroit, my illustrious brother-in-law, Dr. David Zurov Shlita, is with us in attendance at the actual taping. Uh, he is an avid listener to the podcast, and it is his chus, it is his chus to be doing this in his home and learning it with him. Bezrat Hashem, next week. Yaakov Litke will be doing Monday, Tuesday, and then I'll be back Bezrat Hashem on Wednesday. So we begin four lines down on Davav Amidalev. Four lines down where it says, Ba'omine. Uh, What's going on here? We have been talking in yesterday's Daf about chametz that belong to a Nachri. While we discuss that, the Gemara has decided here to digress and talk about other things, other things that were belonging to a Nachri, and what is the relationship of the Jew to such possessions. So, for example, as follows. They asked Rabbah the following question. It was in those days, customary, that not only did you have to pay taxes, but there was a royal tax whereby the um, king, as it were, would take actual animals. They would take a portion of your actual flock, right? Because it was a, how do you call it, David? A gregarian, a gregarian society, right? It was a bunch of farmers. And so they would take some flock as well. Okay. Interesting question with regards to this behemoth arnona, animals, right, that are subject to this tax. Chayevitz bivchara or ain't chayevitz bivchara? What's this bivchara? Well, we know, I remember learning this Gemara actually when I was in Rav Shechter's shir. Rav Shechter recalled because there are still Jewish farmers in Texas, as it were, in this particular case. So a rabbi from Texas called Rav Shechter and said to him, what should I do? Somebody was a Baal Tshuva, and he learned that you're supposed to, you have this something called the Bechor, that the Bechor of every animal, right, uh, the male firstborn offspring of any kosher, you know, domestic animal like cow or sheep, has to be considered Bechor, has to be given to a coin, even Bismana Zeh, Right, they do a thing in order to avoid having to, right, do something special with that specific animal, and so he called. So what they actually do is they do like a heter mechira. They do not a heter mechira. They do like a mechiras chametz. They sell it to a guy. That's very relevant here because the reason we're talking about behemas arnona is because this idea of having to give the bechor to the coin is only when the animal is owned exclusively by a Jew. But if a Jew and a Gentile co-own an animal, that animal is not going to be subject to Bechor. So the real question here in the Gemara is, if, in fact, part of the flock is supposed to be owned by the king, so it's as if the king is a co-owner of the flock with the Jew, and therefore he doesn't have to pay the Bechor. That's the question. Uh, As it so happens here, uh, so the rabbi asked him, what do I do? So Shechter said, yeah, just write it. It's the same nusach, the same contract, basically, that you have for Mechiras Chametz. And the rabbi, who had been rabbi of the shul out there in Texas for like 30 years, said, can you run that contract by me again as well? Shechter thought that was the funniest thing he ever heard, and also the saddest thing, because it means for 30 years, the rabbi didn't really know what he was doing with Mechiras Chametz. Okay, so... What's the answer? Is it considered a chayav b'vachara in the sense that even that it really technically belongs to the Jew, despite the fact that he owns this tax, or ain't chayav b'vachara because this uh, fact that he owns this tax considers the animal like jointly owned with the Gentiles? It says the Gemara, kol It's clear when you're considering this question that misalikli bezuze that if the owner has a option 
right? If the Jewish owner has the option of either giving the animal or giving the monetary value of the animal, that's what Masalak Lebezuzay means, if that were the deal, then lo kami bailan dechayev. Certainly the Jew then would be chayev in the Bechor because uh, the animal itself isn't really considered part uh, owned by the guy. It's simply the monetary value of the animal, which is not the animal itself. And therefore, certainly that's never, not where we have the question. In such a scenario, certainly you'd have to uh, deal with the Bechor in the proper way by devoting it to the coin. However, kikami bailan, the question is, in a case where what? Where there is no option of giving monetary value, this particular municipality, this king wants livestock. He wants your actual animals. If that's the case, then is he a joint owner? My, what would be the din? So Rava answers in that particular case, Amr Lahoop, that in that case, you certainly consider to be uh, joint Owner, joint ownership with the king with regards to this animal, and you are not going to be chayev to give that bechor to the kohen. Gemara asks, however, uh oh, we learned in Brisa, not like that. We learned Vatanya and Brisa chayeves that you are in fact chayev in the laws of bechoris. So the Gemara answers, no, 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 hasam demati misalikle. That that Brisa in bechoro, that Brisa is in a case that we discussed before where you can in fact. It's a different mitzvah. It's the case where you can, in fact, substitute that animal for its monetary value. Okay, the Gemara just had, that's one discussion. The Gemara has a, that discussion, but a different version of it recorded as well. So, Ika de Amri, some say that the discussion went as follows. Amar Rava, behemas are known as Tumar and Bechara. Behemas are known as, in fact, as Pata from Bechara, as we had discussed, uh, as was his uh, halacha in the end over here. The Alpha Gav de Matzim is and even though, and this is true, right? Even, okay, so in this second version, it sounds like he's even more uh, mekil, that it's even true where he doesn't have to give Bechoros, even if he can, in fact, substitute the monetary value of the behema for money. Um, so that's, that's, that's connected to what we already learned. That's another version. And furthermore, the second version also talks about Chala, that Isas Arnona, this is dough. So not only do they want your livestock, they want your challah. But well, that's smart. They should want the challah. Challah is delicious. The question is, if you have it in the dough stage, typically, um, right, if you remember, we're coming up to Parshios, where grain, right, people paid taxes with livestock, people pay taxes in grain, right? We're not used to it today. We're used to monetary, but certainly if you learn the Parshios with Yosef, so livestock was taken, grain was taken. It was very unusual to take dough. This is a case of Esos. This is dough. We say when you have isa, when you have dough, so typically you're supposed to take challah. Now the mitzvah of challah was only on dough that we own. It also the pasuk there also says lahem, right? That it's only when it belongs to you. So if the if the dough belongs to a Jew, so then that is when you have to bring challah. But if the dough is in fact part owned by a guy, so then you don't have to take challah. So what about dough that the that the king wants to take? Is he considered part owner of the dough such that you don't have to take off challah? So, we, so in the second version over here, this this uh, discussion, Rava held that with regards to behema, then you're always going to be pater from bechor, even if you could substitute it for money. However, with regards to the dough, that always you're going to be chayiv and challah, even ve'afagav de lomatzi And that's going to be even if the, the uh, king is 
what? Insisting on dough. He's not going to take dough like in the colloquial sense of money. He wants the real, real dough. That's what he wants. And he still, even still, so in that particular case, he certainly is, so to speak, like a partner. He has uh, interest in your actual dough, but still and all, you're still going to be chayv and chala. Why? So the Gemara is going to explain. My time, what's the reason that the behema is going to be pata from Bechor, but the dough is going to be chayv and chala? Because behema is like kala. The behema, everybody knows. Everybody knows that they took livestock. So when you take livestock, there's not going to be any element here of a type of maris ayin where people think like, oh, why isn't he taking Bechor? They know that it's because of the fact that the king took it. Okay. Isa lace like kala. But when you talk about dough, right? So dough can have so many different uh, variations to it. Ace like kala means that the, the, the uh, word doesn't go out. We don't really know. It's not obvious when you see the dough and you see somebody not taking off kala. So nobody knows that you didn't take off kala because the king took the dough. Because so, maybe the king takes the grain. Maybe t- the king took it in a different stage. Dough is not as obvious what's going on. And so it's for this element of sort of maris ayin, that we say that by the dough, you're always going to have to take off chala, so there's never any confusion, but by a behema, or maybe not. Maybe it's not just maris ayin, that's what Rabari Leibowitz, the great uh, Dafyomi master said, maybe it's not just maris ayin, maybe it's also for the individual themselves not to be confused, right, when they're taking, right, if they start getting used to not taking off dough, maybe that shouldn't become a practice, they should just always, always be habituated to take off chala. However, by behema, it's more obvious because that's a bigger deal, and therefore there you don't have to be as worried that there's going to be any confusion. Okay. Let's get back to Psachim, to the Chametz. So let's talk about more about Chametz of a guy. So Tanar Banan. Right? So you have your, whatever, your business partner, and he's a non-Jew, and he's coming to your house for a meeting, and you forgot to tell him that it's Pesach, he's walking in with a giant... Um, a meatball hero. Okay. So, Ein Zakuk Levar. So, do you have to, like, jump on top of him and set his meatball hero on fire? So, the answer is no. Even though he's carrying chametz, you don't have to do that. Uh, we already said that you can see the chametz of a nachri. We already mentioned that already yesterday. Despite the Pasuk of Bali we already said Bali doesn't mean that you just can't, you have to, like, blind yourself to it. It just means that, um, that it's, if, if it belongs to you, Okay, all right. But now let's get to some gray areas where maybe it does kind of belong to you. Hifkido at slow. What if your friend says, no, can, I, can you hold on and watch my meatball sandwich for me? I got to go for a few hours. So then, Zakuk Levar, yeah, and you better set his, his meatball here on fire. Why? Or really, throw flush it down the toilet, you have to get rid of it. Why? So, you, so because at that point, Rashi explains, Hifkido at slow, Bikabilaleachrayas. We're going to explain it. But basically what you did, right? Now, I'm, now I have a responsibility for this meatball sub. Well, that responsibility carries with it what seems to be a certain sense of ownership, right? Because so long as I'm responsible for it, it's like I have some uh, connection to this meatball sub, aside from being... Um, Right, not kosher. It's certainly not kosher. The pesach. I can't have any ownership of it, and therefore I have to get rid of it. Okay. What if, however, yichadlo bait? I said, and uh, the article explains that it's the Jew that did this. That's that's um, right. Uh, Rashi says, "Klomar lo kiblu alav." 
So Rashi is telling the story, right? My again, business associate comes. He's got the meatball sub. He says, uh, "Can you watch this for me?" I can't say sure and take it from him and then hold on to it and have a cryus. Rather, I said, "Guess what? Uh, you know, why don't you put it in the shed outside? It'll be safe there." Oh, now I designated an area for it. That'll be okay. Ain zokik lavar. Now I don't have to set his meatball sub on fire. Why? Shanamar lo yimatze. Because it says, lo yimatze. What does that have to do with the Pasuk lo yimatze? So the Gemara asks that. The Gemara says, my kamar. What is this Bryce saying? What does that have to do with lo yimatze? Lo yimatze is usually a Pasuk that tells you that it's Asr. How does lo yimatze here help you? So the Gemara is going to sort it out. Don't worry. Amar of Papa, areshakai. First of all, two ways of answering this. One is, this lo yimatze is misplaced. And this is what the Bryce meant. The non-Jew deposited the meatball here with me. I have to set it on fire. So, the Loyimatse is telling you about the part where I actually accepted it, took a Chwaiyas for it, and now I have to set it on fire. And in fact, that's where the Pasuk of Loyimatse was supposed to go to, in fact, corroborate, right, to bring a, a uh, source in the Psukim for that Halacha. That is the sheet of Papa. However, Ravashi explains it differently. Ravashi Amar Kai. No, it's actually talking about this last case, this case where I said put it in the shed. So what does that have to do with Loimat? Sefahikamar. This is what it said. Yichad lo I said, Oh, you know what, Charles? Put it in the shed, please. Ain Zakuk Levair. I don't have to burn it. Why? Shanemar Lo Yimatse Bivasechem. Ah, you just have to read. Right? You can't show you half a picture. You just have to read the rest of the Pasuk. It says, it shouldn't be found in your house. Right? This chametz is not considered mine. I didn't accept the responsibility for it. Right? Because when he walked into my house with the meatball hero, it's on, only into his own house that he brings it. In other words, when I tell the guy, put it in the shed, it's as if that shed is now designated as my partner's shed. And now he is the master of that domain, and he's the king of that palace, and so anything that he puts in there doesn't go back on me, and it's okay, I don't have to set the meatball here on fire while he goes out to do his errands. Okay. But the Gemara, however, has an issue with this. It says, Lameymar de Schiris Kanya? Huh. Are you going to take a stance on this concept of Schiris Kanya? What does Schiris Kanya mean? Shiras Kanya means, let's say, I, took, I, like, I rented the shed to my partner. I said, you, I'm renting it to you. So does that mean that that rental agreement means that he owns it? Does he own the shed now? That's none. We already learned in a Mishnah, in a Zara, it says, right? Even in a place where they said you're allowed to rent houses to Obdei Avodah I didn't say that you could rent actual residential areas for people to live in. Because you can't, you can't expose yourself to that. They're going to bring a Vodazara into your place. We're not allowing that. Chazal's not going to allow that. The Gemara therefore says, If you're going to tell me the Schiris is Kone, is he really bringing it into his own house? Obviously, the rented property is going to be still under my ownership. So the question, simply put, is I have my house and I have my shed. My partner comes with his meatball sub. He's not Jewish. And he's coming in on Pesach. And I say, go put it in the shed. Well, the question is, it's still my shed. 
What are you going to say? You're going to say that because he can put it in the shed, that all of a sudden it's his shed? It's still in my property. So how does it help to put it in the shed? The Gemara says, no. Shiny hacha, the apik, rachmana, belashan, lo yimatze, mishimatze, biyadcha. It's all in the psukim. When the Pasuk says, lo yimatze, it's different than in a Vodazara when we're talking about actual ownership. It's true, right? I still own my own shed. That's not the point. The point is, mishimatze, biyadcha. Chomets, it's found in your hand. Ah, yatzazeh, she'enu matze, biyadcha. And it comes to exclude chomets, that's not considered in my hand. Rather, once I've designated to be put in the shed, I've indicated that I have no intention of actually holding on to this chametz. Okay, so we arrive at the second wide line of Avraham Rabalaf, and we say the following: Amar Bihud Amar Rav. This is the related halacha. Okay, so now I find regular kosher chametz in my house. Twinkies. I find the hidden Twinkies. On Yantiv. Koyfe alav is a kli. The halacha is, what do you do with such a... So you have to put a kli over it. Why do you have to put a kli over it? Rash explains. The halacha zila Well, like, you think, like, I can't burn it. It's Yantiv. I can't, like, throw it out because it's mukta. Okay? By Yerari, I'm not going to be over because I was mvatel it already. Okay? Because we already said, a buddha tzarakshay vatel. Okay, so then why do I have to cover it at all? So the answer is, I have to cover it because why? Because I, don't, I need it as like a symbol. A symbol of the, of the fact that I am not, that I intend, to, that I was mevatlet and I intend to, I intend to um, be dissociated from it and therefore you put it on as a heker and therefore you won't end up messing with the schametz anymore. Gemara there then continues and says, Amar Rabba Imshel Hekdesh, if it belongs to Eh Hekdesh, Eino Tzarech. An interesting halacha, that if it happens to be, if you happen to know that you're Makdesh these Twinkies to the base of Mikdash, you don't have to even put a Kli on top of it. My time, I'm Mivdil Bedilei Minei. Because people are habituated all year long not to touch Hekdesh. So you don't, that's as we said in Rashi, that was the one thing, right, that, that was the one thing that we said was a problem. That the only thing that the Kli was actually going to be serving, the only function that it's going to serve, is to remind you, right, uh, to sort of counterbalance the instinct you're going to have to reach out for those chametz that you're generally eating all year round. Once it's hekdesh, then that's something they're not eating all year round. You're already habituated. You don't need the Kli uh, in order to stop you from reaching out for it instinctively. Good. Six lines down in the wide lines on Vav Amaralev. Uh, we're just going to say, rattle off more halachas from Yehuda Ramarav on these topics. If the meeting or whatever of the Nachri, the exposure to his chametz, took place on Erev Pesach, so then you're going to have to make a mechitza of Asar Tfachim, a larger mechitza in order to have the heker. You can't build these mechitzos on Yentav itself because we're not allowed to do that. Uh, for reasons of Malechas Yantiv, but, and so therefore, but the ideal really would be to build Mechitzos. It's only in the absence of the ability to build Mechitzos of the really proper Heker that we say on Yantiv itself that you're going to put on a Kli. But otherwise, Mechitzos is the ideal. So that's, that's uh, what Rashi explains. Uh, furthermore, Vim Shel Hekdeshu, but even there, if you have Shel Hekdeshu, Eino Tzarech, my time of Mibdol Bedilei In Sheimine. That, again, even uh, during the Chal, 
whenever you have it, and it's also hekdesh, so it's amazing. When you have chametz, it's also hekdesh. You can have that laying around the house, and it's not going to be considered a problem. Because again, you're already mevatalit. And once you're already mevatalit, so then it's not considered yours, it's considered nothing to you. Why do we then cover it with a clear, put a machitos, only to remind ourselves that we were mevatalit, and that we don't care about it. But really, if it's hekdesh, you don't even need that. Okay. One last thing from Amarud Amarav about Chametz Amarud Amarav and Farsh Vayetze B'Shayara. You're going out on a trip. Kodim Shloshim Yomein Zokik Levar. So, wait a second. You're going on a trip, David, and you don't know if you're going to come back before Pesach. So do you have to do Bir Chametz or not? So if you're doing it, if you're leaving, bef- like, before, 30 days before, if you, if you left today on a trip, right? You say, forget it. I'm taking the year off. Coronavirus. I'm going to... You said that you had friends who left... When did they leave for Florida? They got in the car and they left for... Uh, for Orlando. When did they leave? A couple weeks ago. They left for a couple weeks ago and they don't have any plans of coming back. They may not be back for Pesach. That's right. They have no plans at all for coming back. So did they check their house for Pesach before they left? Yeah. They probably didn't. So this Gemara says that they didn't have to, right? Because they left more than 30 days before Pesach, so they don't, they don't have to come back. But certainly if they had left after Purim, they probably would start thinking about maybe Badika. Right, obviously if you have intentions of actually coming back, then that changes the math, right? In other words, if you, let's say, leave within 30 days, and you have no plans of coming back, so then why would you have to check for Chavetz? You're not even going to be there. So that's what Abaye said. Yeah, but what does 30 days then mean? The only thing that should matter is whether you want to come back or not. Like, so for example, if you intend to come back, let's say for Pesach, let's say they said, we're not coming back, we don't know when we're coming back, but by Pesach we'll be back. So then even if they left now, they should check for Chavetz, according to Rava. Rav is saying, Rabbi, according to your logic, where everything is, right, dependent on when you come back, so then, so then it, the 30 days becomes irrelevant. Okay, so what, how, does, how does Rav sort of modify it? So Alma Rav, no, it's not exactly what Abaya said, but as follows. It's like this. Right, so if you have no intentions of coming back, and you left more than 30 days before, who's, what's the name of your friend? Micha. Yeah, that, that guy Micha. I think his last name started with a Z, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that guy Micha left more than 30 days before. He has no specific intentions to come back. So then you then we're not going to make you check the, your chametz. If Micha decided that he is going to come back, then before he left, he should have checked the chametz. Unbelievable. The Gemara says, Rav is consistent with himself. Similarly, let's say somebody... In those days, the storehouse, we already learned in Erevin that we had like these doors to the storehouse were these trap doors. They were like almost, in, you had to install them and then de- uninstall them. It was real storage. We're not talking about like just a closet. This is storage where you're really putting it away for a while. Okay. So let's say you're building a storehouse, right? You make and, and you fill it with stuff and there's chametz in it, there's all this stuff, but then you're really closing it up. So if you close it up, you don't have to do any badika because... Right, you're not going to take it off. You're not going to access this at any point. So, what's the difference? It's within 30 days, you're already in the chametz zone, and therefore you have to do bedika, and you have to make sure that before you lock it up, it's going to be chametz free in that storehouse. So similarly, this is what Rava was saying. 
Rav was saying that if you intend to actually clear it out, go in, go out, and do some spring cleaning, so if you have no intention of doing that, so then even before 30 days, uh, that's, that's when you don't have to um, check it before you close up that door to the storage. But if you think you're going to open it up at some point within uh, Pesach, potentially, so then you know you're going to open it up, and if there's any possibility you're going to open it up on Pesach at all, excuse me, then before you close it, you have to check it. Okay. Now the Gemara is going to ask, where are we going to, where did we come up with this 30 days altogether? Where did we come up? The Kedetanya, we learn in the Brisa, famously, that you have 30 days before Pesach, uh, that's when you start asking, mind you, that's Purim, it's exactly 30 days before. Uh, some people say, bring out a Mishnah Brura, that's a real, um, I don't know what the word to say, but it's like a really sheepish move to whip out a a, um, a Mishnah Bura at the Purim Suda and start learning Echaz Pesach. I'll just say it's, that doesn't really mean that you should do it Dafka on day 30 at the Purim Suda, but that's when it becomes more relevant. Maybe wait one day and then tomorrow already you're in, Purim, in uh, out of Purim mode and you're in Pesach mode. Uh, be that as it may, that was the Tanakam and the Brisa. Rabban Gachimah Gamliel on Meshtesha Basos. Two weeks. Two weeks is enough. Shalom Vidosh in two weeks. So the Gemara is going to discuss this machlok. It's my time at the Tanakama. So as we turn to Vavim Beis, what's the reason of the Tanakama? Shari Moshe, I'm in Pesach Rishon. Umazel Pesach Sheni. It's based off the idea that on Pesach Rishon, Moshe Rabbeinu stood up and started telling them the halachas of the Pesach Sheni. Shanema, Vayasu Vene Salsa Pesach, Barishon. Right? It says that they made the Pesach. In the first month, and it goes through the whole story that those people were tame, and therefore they wanted to do the carbon pesach. Beautiful idea, and therefore um, Moshe Rabbeinu allowed him to do the pesach sheni. Beautiful shear I heard from Reb Rosenzweig Shlita about pesach sheni and bris and how it's a gerus of Klal Yisrael, and how the carbon pesach represents gerus. It's relevant to us because as and the carbon pesach and the door post with the blood. It's a beautiful idea for us because we're really reborn every pesach. We're learning pesach and maybe we zoche to uh, be spiritually rejuvenated all the time. Okay. So the Gemara, however, is going to explain. This sounds really good. Moshe was teaching 30 days before. So where does Rav Shimon Gamliel get this idea of two weeks? Rav Shimon Gamliel, Only once Moshe was discussing the topic of the Korban Pesach, so then he was telling him all the Pesach idea. But it wasn't that he really needed to uh, tell it to them 30 days before. It was only when they were bringing the Korban Pesach. The Korban Pesach, right, uh, uh, and therefore he was teaching them then, but there was no specific date to it. So now we're six lines down of Avon Rebbe's, and the Gemara is going to say, okay, so Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel just explained that it, this learning didn't have to ha- start 30 days before. But where does he come up with two weeks? Like, what's two weeks about? Says the Gemara, my time is Rabbi Shimon Gamaliel. So the Gemara has to show Moshe Ahmed Berosh HaChodesh. Right before the Tanakam said Moshe Ahmed Bepesach Rishon. We see we have a machlokas here when Moshe taught these halachas. In other words, we always assume, right, that he taught it, um, right, on, on, on Pesach itself. But maybe not. Maybe he was standing on Rosh HaChodesh, Umazir HaLa Pesach. And then he's teaching them about that first carbon Pesach. Ah. 
Well, that's two weeks in advance. That's only two weeks. It says, he says, this is your Chodesh. And that's when he started teaching him all the halachas of the Karman Pesach. So we see that it was two weeks. In other words, we see Moshe standing up. We see he's giving a shear. We see that's Rosh Chodesh. And we see that he's giving a shear about Pesach. So what more right do you need than that? That's two weeks. So the Gemara asks, How do you even know that that was on Rosh Chodesh? He said, Sounds like it's Rosh Chodesh. But really, he could have said it. He's like, this is the Chodesh. How do we know that he did it on the first day? Maybe he did it on the third day. And and therefore, you should be Shalom V'Darshan 12 or 11 days before, whatever. Uh, as the Gemara says, Dilma be'arba be'yarcha or be'chamisha be'yarchakai. Right? Maybe he was standing there on the fourth or the fifth, and like only nine or ten days are necessary of preparation. So, Allah, Amar Rabbah, Bershimi, Mishmei, Dervina, Mehacha. No, we learn from here, right? Debe'a Shem, Moshe, Bemidbar, Sinai, Bishon, Hashinis, Bechodesh, Arishon. Shem spoke to Moshe in the Midbar in the first month in the second year. And it says in, in the next Pasuk, Bnei Israel should make the Pesach on its proper time. So it's a, it's a juxtaposition of these, it's the relationship between these Pesukim. It says, We said that that was on Rosh Chodesh. So says the Gemara, how do we know that that was on Rosh Chodesh? Maybe it was on the fourth or the fifth of the month. So now we're going to learn how that specific, now we're going to find out how we know that that was on Rosh Chodesh itself. As follows, there he is again, son of a gun. He's, he, he's all over these dapim. We learn, from the fact that the word midbar appears in both psukim, k'sev hacha b'midbar sinai, k'sev hasam b'idaber Hashem Moshe b'midbar sinai b'al moed b'echad l'chodesh sheni, malaholim bar shchodesh af kan bar shchodesh. Just like over there, the pasuk in the beginning of right b'midbar says, it says it the very first pasuk, it says uh, that it was the first uh, of the month, right? B'idaber, remember how b'midbar starts? By the bear, Moshe Hashem El Moshe, between Mar Sinai, Beol Moed, Bechad La Chodesh Hashini, Bashana Hashinis. Wow. Very first pasuk can say for Bemidbar. There it goes. It tells you that it's Rosh Chodesh. So that's how you know. There it says Bemidbar, here it says Bemidbar. So both of these were Rosh Chodesh. Interestingly enough, by the way, the first pasuk in Bemidbar, it says Bechodesh Hashini. It's on the second month. Nisan Iyar. It was an ER. Rosh Chodesh ER. And then afterwards, in the subsequent Perak Tess, we're talking about the month before. Nisan. What's going on here? So that, that wasn't lost in the Gemara. The Gemara is going to ask this question. It says the Gemara, Why are we saying the Pesukim? That's a fundamental question in the Pesukim order. This is 22 lines down on Vavam Beis. Why are we saying that the first, that, that, uh, not why are we saying, why is the Torah writing it in this order? Why is the Torah writing all the psukim uh, of the second month first, in the very beginning of Bamidbar, and then going on, and all the stuff that happened the month beforehand, then they're subsequently describing that in Perak Tess. Why is it out of chronological order? So the Gemara answers, Amar of Menashe Batachlifa Mishmei Devarav, the famous, famous idea. So to merit, Ein Muktam Umeuchar No such thing as Muktam Uchar The Torah is not a chronological uh, 
recollection of events, but rather it's a living, right, Torah that Hashem wrote uh, with concepts and all these ideas, and the order as it pertains to chronology is for Hashem to know. We are just trying to learn it, but we can't assume chronological sequencing in it. Now, Rashi, I'm told by the great Tafyomi masters, Simon Wolf and Ari Leibowitz, is the most uh, maker, I guess you could say. In other words, if shot fits better when you switch the chronological order of anything, Rashi's more than happy to switch it because he's following this idea of Ein Mukta Mukhabatara. He's the most liberal with this. As opposed to the Ramban and many others, I, I, I was told that Ibn Ezra, is, I think it was uh, Ari Leibowitz who said, Ibn Ezra stands on his head to try to keep chronological order whenever he can. Uh, I was told. And Ramban also is a little, a little bit more uh, trying to stick within the chronology, although he does concede uh, this idea of the Gemara that uh, occasionally it is out of order. Anyway, the Gemara is going to ask, how, doesn't that pose problems, okay, when you say in Mukta Mukta as follows, So now we have a qualify, qualification of Papa. Papa believes that that's only when you have two different ideas, two different psukim. Okay, Rashi is saying Shtei Nyonim is really two psukim. But within one pasuk, it's certainly in chronological order. Why? Well, we have the Midashad Torah Nidrashas Behem, right? So we say, like, if you have first a general thing, and then you have a generalization, then you have a specific. So we say, We say that that specificity right, that follows the generalization, modifies and limits the general concept. Conversely, when you have something specific and then something more general, so then that general thing is going to sort of expand the scope of the specific thing to include more things. So it becomes very relevant and very important to know which one comes first because it changes the entire dynamic of the Kala Prat and the Prat of Kala, two different things. So how are you going to learn these drushes if everything's out of order, right? <laughs> Those things rely on the order being straight, being correct. That's what Gemara is saying here. This concept that that which is general, you only are going to apply in the specific case when you have a prat after a klal. Maybe that doesn't work. Maybe the specific came before the general. Right, v'su pratu klal nasa klal mosaf ala prat dilma klal pratu, and conversely, right when you have first the specific and then the general, and you're supposed to blow out the specific into a larger proportion. Well, maybe you can't do that. Maybe you're supposed to. It's supposed to be a klal prat. So how can you how can you say such a thing? So the Gemara says, I feel betraying nami. No, but don't ask that question. Because that would be true even with two psukim. Okay, well, that whole problem, the idea of one pasuk versus two psukim, that is only going to hold water if you hold that the kalaprat only works within one pasuk. But there is a shita out there that holds the kalaprat can even work with two consecutive separate psukim. That's hamaruchakin zemizeh. So if you hold kalaprat muruchakin zemizeh, ain't done no sabi kalaprat shapir. That if you hold that this whole concept of the limud of kalaprat 
and Pratuklal only applies when it's one Pasuk. So we can understand how separating it out and saying, no, 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 or Papa's saying it's only when the two Psukim are separate Psukim, then of course, it, there's no, so then we can understand why his answer holds water. However, Lamanda Amar done in the, according to the Manda Omar that says that we can expand the Pratuklal even with two separate consecutive Psukim, Ma'ikla Megmar, then if Papa is not going to help because if you can have a general, uh, let's say a Klal in one Pasuk and a Prat in another Pasuk, so then we need to know that those Psukim are in order as well. So the answer is, Afil Manda Amar Dunin. Even those who say that you can learn Klal Prat from two separate Psukim, Hanumila Bechad Yana. That is only, so here Rashi is going to have to say Chadinyana means topic. That's only when it's one topic. However, I will betray Yane, but two different topics ain't done in. We don't say Chaluprat in a situation like that. Okay. Um, right, so even this view, I'm looking at art school note number 18. So over here, it's talking about Rashi is, will agree that the word Yane here means topic, even though before it meant Pasuk. Okay, so even according to that view, it makes sense. Now we're up to what we did together, David. Two dots, 18 lines up from the bottom. The very important idea, the two dots, that a person who does Badika has to do Bittal as well. Says the Gemara, my time. Why do you have to do Bittal? Let's see. If you say it's because you have crumbs that you uh, didn't notice when you were doing your Badika, so halo chashivi. What are crumbs? Are not chashiv enough to to? They're not considered substantive, and therefore you're not going to be chayiv by your eye. You're not going to have any iser to have crumbs around. So it can't be that that's why you have to be mivatel. Okay. V'chitem I came with the minter lahu agav beisach chashivi. Rashi says a very interesting description and explanation of this. Right. In other words, you close the door to your house. When you close the door to your house, perhaps you have intention of what securing you lock the door to your house so you're securing everything in the house the art school has a nice way of saying it it says by securing everything into your house so perhaps perhaps you've conferred right a certain degree of importance to it and therefore almost like re uh by protection of of the of the crumbs you remade it your belonging so is that what it's talking about no that can't be that that if you're going to say that it's rhetorical, it's saying that can't be the case. Why? Vatanya, because we learned in a brisa with regards to that a total contrary. The brisa is going to say that if you don't have these things in mind, then even if you lock them up, they're uh, worthless. Let's see what the case is in the brisa. Sufitanim, if you have unripened figs, so we know that during the harvest certain things peak and certain things are ripen at their at their best, and certain things are already like past their prime. So let's say Sufi Te'enim So during the best grape harvest season, the Te'enim are already toast. The figs look terrible. So they're worthless to you. And therefore they're worthless to you and you don't even have them in mind. But you are closing up the gates to your, right, to your fields because you want to protect those beautiful juicy grapes. Or Sufi Anovim, the grapes have already passed their prime and they're no longer usable, sellable, they're worthless. But you're still closing up the gates because the squash plants, the gourds, all of those are in their prime and therefore it's valuable, so you're closing it. Okay. Now, says the Bryce of Bismanch, Shabalabais, Makbidalehen. So let's say you, the stuff that's beyond its prime. Let's talk about the Sufi Te'enim. Right, the figs are beyond their prime. You're not mocking on them anymore. You don't care if anybody takes them. So therefore, they're considered ownerless. 
Ah, Asurin Mishum Gezel. So if you're Makbid, which means that you Dafka do want, Makbid Alehim means what? That you're concerned that nobody takes it. You don't want anybody to take your figs. Maybe you're going to use it to make a fig jam or whatever your reason is. It doesn't matter what your reason is. If you're Makbid Alehim, you're concerned that they, to retain them and you have them in mind when you close the gates that even though they're past the prime, you still want to protect those sofi to Anim, then Asur Mishum Gezel, Bechayavim Bemaiser. These would be the two ramifications of actually owning the Te'enim, which is to say, the Bryce is saying, if you're Makbid on the Te'enim, which is to say that you still care about them, that means you still own them. And if you still own them, then certainly you would still have to bring Meiser on them, and also if somebody stole them from you, they'd have to return them to you, because they're considered still yours, by virtue of you having in mind to still own them, and having in mind when you close the gate, that you're still protecting them. However, says the Bryce, the Bismansha, ain't Balabites Makbid Aleim. At the time that you're not particular, you're not really closing the gates. If those were the only things in your in your uh, field left, if you're only a fig farmer and it was a sufe ta'inim, it was at the end of the of the season, you'd be leaving that field wide open. You don't care about this stuff no more. So if that's the case, mutar. But in this case, by the way, you are closing the gate. You're closing the gate because you still have the juicy grapes in there. Okay, so you close the gates, but you're not makpidalim. You close the gates, but not for the ta'inim. So if that's the case, if some hoodlums climbed the fence, right, and took your te'enim that you're not makpid on, they'd not be over gezel. Because, in fact, you had already relinquished them, in a sense, just by virtue of not having them in mind, of not being makpid on, on them. And uh, they are also considered ownerless, uh, or at least not, you don't owe them, with, with, and therefore you don't have to take off meiser either. Same to ramifications. Well, this is in contrast with what we said before, because we said, don't think that the reason why the Pirurim are Chashim is because you're locking the door, because this Bryce teaches you that if you lock the door, it would not confer any Chashivas to the crumbs whatsoever. The crumbs are inherently worthless, and you certainly are not going to be imbuing them with any value just by locking the door. You'd have to actually actively have in mind to be protecting those crumbs and you would never do such a thing um, and therefore since you would never do such a thing closing the door in of itself doesn't make it valuable so the question remains if closing the door doesn't make these crumbs valuable so therefore we're not concerned with crumbs if we're not concerned with crumbs and we did badika as best we could so then why would you have to do bittel says the Gemara I'm a Rava he has an answer Gzera Shema Yimtza Gluska Yafa ah uh, somebody in the house has a Twinkie fetish that they're very private about. Sure enough, you might just come across that on Pesach. And therefore, we have to make a Gezerah. Because if you find a Twinkie, you might find it irresistible. And your mind will be on it in the sense that you'll consider that significant. You'll hesitate to destroy it. And you'll be chayev. In that moment of hesitancy, there's obviously so much more here than meets the eye. You can learn Ian here for months. But that hesitancy, you've now re... What? You, you, since you've had a lapse, right? It's like having like a lapse in insurance. Since you've had a lapse in your rejection of the chametz, right? You had that momentary, that mo- fleeting moment when you look longingly at those Twinkies, all of a sudden you had a lapse and you undid that Badika and 
You, therefore, you need to do the bittel in order to ensure that even when you find said Twinkie, you have already declared that you have no relationship to this Twinkie. And therefore, it ensures that there'd be no lapse in rejection of the Chameis. The Gemara asks, however, well, why don't you just be mevatle when you find it? So we could say, wait a minute. Uh, why don't you just burn it when you find it? Like, what's going on here? Well, I guess you can't do that because it's already yuntiv. So then you can't you can't burn it. Um, okay. Um, so therefore, why are we not letting you be mevatalit then? Why do we have to mevatalit when when as part of the Badika process in the beginning, as part of the pre Pesach chametz rejection process? So says the Gemara. Maybe you'll find it after it's already us or after the sixth hour. And at that point, it's no longer considered yours. It's not yours to be mevatel at that point. That is a truly esoteric concept. In other words, you can uh, retain some level of connection to these Twinkies despite the fact that you no longer have legal rights to nullify them. Says Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Lazar is now going to give a um, analogy to this. There's actually another example of something like this, where again, it's not in the legal rishus of a person. They don't have legal ability to do anything about it. And yet the pasuk says that it's still going to attribute. Whatever happens with this item to you, whatever happens here is going to be traced back to you, even though you don't have a connection enough. You don't have a legal connection enough to do anything about it, but you have enough of a connection to this item that anything that happens will be traced back to you. Let's see the two examples and you'll see it more clearly. The Bor Bishus Harabim is very simple. You have a pit that you dug yourself, okay? But you did so in a public thoroughfare. You don't own that area. That's public property. And therefore, really, the pit, right? You have no ownership of the pit, right? You can't charge money to go into the pit. You, you have no ownership of the pit. By any legal ownership standards, you don't own it. And yet, if somebody were to fall in, the, right, the reparations would fall back on you. So amazingly, right? It traces back to you, even though you have no legal ownership. Such, says the Gemara, is a relationship between a Jew and his chametz after the sixth hour. Because after the sixth hour, it's aser ba'na, it's aser ba'chila. You can't do anything with it, and therefore you're not considered. Uh, you're not going to be able to sell it. You're not considered the owner of it with regards to any halachic things that you're going to do with it. It's not considered yours, and yet. It is traces back to you enough that you're going to be chayev on it, midaraisa, as if you own it. That's what it means when it says, it's not birshuso, but asana kasev ki ilu birshuso. Wow. So therefore, that's why you have to do the bittel, and you have to do it before the sixth hour, because once the sixth hour hits, that magical hour, as we discussed yesterday, that's the hour where the chametz becomes asr in the middle of Erev Pesach, and at that point, you can no longer be mevatalit, because it's not in your shush to do that. This is the Gemara. So wait, why are we doing it in this? Why? Why are we doing it the night before? So, right, at this point, the Gemara is assuming that you have to do it with as part of the Badika the night before. It's not necessarily what we do. We like this suggestion. But anyway, 
let him do the bittul on the fourth, uh, fourth or fifth hour. came into lavzman isiruhu, velavzman biyuruhu, dilma pashavulamivatele. So again, obviously, this is not the end of the story, but we are in fact on the very last word in vavam So we'll finish here just to explain what this means. Is really the two sort of like moments over here where you're dealing with chametz. One is the uh, two like halachic punctuated moments. One is when you do the badika the night before, or la basar, as mentioned in the very first words of our Masechta. And when you're doing the badika, that's when you're focused on the, the chametz rejection. The other one is when it becomes asr in the sixth hour. Okay, but that's already too late. You can't do it in the sixth hour. You have to do it sometime before. So we go back. It's like when you're, when you're flipping in the old tuning that we used to do on the FM dial trying to get a good signal. So you have 6.60 a.m. and then 7.70 a.m. and you're flipping between them. In between them, it's just all static, right? It's no man's land. You have to hit an actual solid, clear signal of some halachic significance. So those two episodes are the badika, and then after the badika, it's going to be already too late because it's going to be when the Isra Chametz is. We'll see. Obviously, that's not the end of the story, but we will stop here and Bezat Hashem have a good Shabbos. We will continue Bezat Hashem next week. Thanks again to David.